The sicha that we're about to learn is a landmark sicha, one of these classic Rebbe perspectives on perhaps one of the most challenging things that we face in our lives, our own failures. The parish is Masay, it's uh, the final parish of the Book of Amidbar, which details the Masois, the 42 journeys the Jewish people took from Egypt to arrive at Yarden Yerechoi, at the border about to enter into Eretz Yisrael. And these journeys are reflected in the spiritual journeys that we all go through in our lives. Rashi, when he introduces these journeys, does so with a moshal of a father and son who went in order to find healing. And on the way back, the father details three different experiences in three different places, which the Rebbe will tell us encapsulate within them the entire experience of these Masois. And with it, a very powerful lesson. The nuance of the moshal is very precise because in Judaism, a moshal is always letter perfect. And so this is supposed to convey to us the idea of the journeys that we go on in our lives, including the journeys of failure and how they're all part of Hashem's incredible plan. It's a magnificent sicha and one of these that radically changes our view of ourselves and of our opportunities, even in the face of where we've let, let ourselves down. There's a medrash which Rashi quotes in his on the Torah in this week's parasha, that these Masois and why we have to repeat them all and say this is where we went, what could it be compared to? There was a king who had a son who was ill, and so he took him far away in order to heal him. When they were on their way back home, so his father then recalled all the different stages of their journey. And he said the following three things. This is where we slept. Here's where we cooled off. At this place, you had a headache. Your head bothered you. Likewise, in line with this marshal, the, the idea of mas, mas, recounting all the journeys of the Jewish people is Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu, go back, tell the Eden where we went, how they angered me. Therefore, it says those words, and the following are the journeys of the Jewish people. So, we have to understand what Rashi and the Midrash, for that matter, are getting out over here. Because any time that a marshal is quoted in Torah, it's very precise. The obvious is the correlation between the general story of the Moshal and what it wants to convey. A king and his child, and the child has an illness, and they went on a journey, and now they're recalling the journey. The truth is that the specific details of the Moshal, those three essential phases, here's where we slept, here's where we cooled off, here's where your head bothered you, those were very carefully chosen, and those things convey very much what the Nimshal is all about. So therefore we have to ask ourselves the question, where do we find these three themes in the 42 journeys? Sleeping, cooling, and a headache or the head bothering you. Where do you see that in the 42 journeys? So that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. Beis, Voitzos, furthermore, the fact that the Medrash only tells us three different scenarios, without even saying an etc., because they're 42 journeys altogether, so you'd expect these are three examples, etc., there's more to the story. The fact that there's no etc., that tells you that this is not just three incidents, but rather these are three incidents which talk to the entire experience the Jewish people had on their journeys. Which implies that these three things played out in all of the 42 journeys. Now we have to scramble in our minds and say, in all the 42 journeys, there was an element of sleep, of cooling off, of the head bothering you. What does that mean? Question number three. Gimel. Now if you remember in the Nimshal, we said that in the same way as this king reviewed the different locations with his son, so Hashem told Moshe, reveal, re- review with the Jewish people where they angered me. So 
the headache, that aligns with anger. Even saying we cooled off, you could see the correlation. Move on the Yosef and because they both have an implication of some kind of discomfort or some kind of illness. But if you're going to say, here's where we slept, how would that in any way anger the king? Obviously, you have to sleep at some point. Obviously, you have to rest. So where's the correlation between here's where we slept and the fact that that angered Hashem? And lastly, it is strange that in the Moshe, the first two examples that are given are given in the plural, which implies that the experience was shared both by the king and by his son, or in the Nimshal, by Hashem and the Yidden. Whereas when he speaks about the fact that your head bothered you, that's in the singular. Only directed at the prince, the case of Matimi Madvorim Linimshol. So how does that fit with the Nimshol? That some of the incidents associated with the Masois are for us and Hashem together, and some are just for us. What exactly is that supposed to mean? So we'll start by first analyzing why are there three examples and these three specific examples that the Medrash and Rashi quote. There is an easy way that we could explain why these are the three examples that were used. The reason would be because these three things all played out early on in the Jewish transition from Mitzrayim outwards. In fact, you can identify these three in the first three stages of their journeys which is Meretz Mitzrayim v'ad Yamsuf. The first three stages go from leaving Mitzrayim to arriving at Yamsuf. In those three journeys, you can see these three things. So what are those three journeys? Aleph Ramses to Sukhois, from Ramses, which is like the border of Eretz, Yisrael to Sukhoi, uh, of, of Eretz Mitzrayim to Sukhois. Then there's Mitzrayim Le'esom. Esom was kind of the desert. And then Me'esom Le'fiachirois, which was like the, the, the gateway to freedom. If you could get past that point, you were free. So where, where's the correlation? Simple, actually, really simple correlations. When it says that they left Rashi, Rashi says straight away that they left from Sukkos on day two. So there you have it. Day one, they went from Ramses to Sukkos, journey one. Day two, they carried on. So it's quite logical then. Their first journey took them from Ramses to Sukhois. They arrived there. They spent the night there, which means that they slept there. Ah, Kan Yoshananu, the first thing that was mentioned in the Marshal, relates to the first journey that the Jews underwent. Then, what happened next when they went from Sukhois to the next destination, which was Esom? So you read what the Torah says very simply when they got to Esam, that's when they were accompanied now not just by the leading cloud that showed them where to go, but that protected them altogether. As the Pasuk says very clearly, that they now had the cloud guiding and protecting them wherever they went. Okay, what's that got to do with cooling? So what was the purpose of the cloud? Firstly, as the Pasuk says, clearly to have a cloud in front of them to lead them so they would know where to go. But in addition to that, Chazal tell us that the cloud surrounded them to keep them cool because they're going into the desert now and they would be exposed to extreme heat. The clouds would protect them. And that happened as soon as they left Sukkot. Oh, so there you have it. The second phase of their journey was That's the second story, the second phase of the Moshal. Here's where we cooled off. Because the second phase, the second journey the Jews took from Sukkot took them into the desert where they were exposed to the extreme heat. And that's where they began to cool off. By the way, the other... 
function of the clouds, which was to smooth the, the terrain and to get rid of dangerous creatures, that was only going to become relevant later when they get into the big desert after having gone through the, the, the crossing of the sea. But at this point in time, what they really needed mainly was to cool off. So there you have it. We slept over. That's the first journey. Got to Sukhoi, so we slept over. We were cooled off. That's the second journey. Hashem gave us Anani HaKovet. What's the third journey? Well, when they got to Piachiros, which should have been the opening to freedom, but they found that the Mitzrim were right behind them and they were kind of stuck. So what happened then is, this is where they didn't complain to Hashem. They said it would have been better for us to be serving as slaves in Egypt than to die out here in the desert. This was a logical complaint against Moshe. Ah, their head started to bother them. So it's not the classic headache that you take a headache pill. It's the head working against you. So we could clearly see that the mushal that Rashi and the Medrash bring fits perfectly with the three initial journeys of the Jewish people. The first journey where they stayed overnight, Yoshanu. The second where they got the clouds to cool and moff Hekarnu. The third where Chashash their minds started to play mind games against them. So there we have it. Now the thing is that we know that these 42 journeys are meant to represent a lot more than just the path that the Jews took to get out of Mitzrayim and they represent an experience of spiritual growth that every one of us would contend with during the course of our lives. So let's try and understand all of this in the context of these three items. It's explained in various places in Chesidus like the famous Nevo of Yecheskel where he speaks about the Midbar Ho'amim that the nations of the world <coughs> that we, we would have to contend with during the course of Hagolos are like one big desert that we traverse in order to get to Mashiach. <coughs> the conclusion of that journey or series of journeys will be when we get to the Jordan River which is, Yerechoi is Bechinas Reach. Yerechoi comes from the word Reach, which is smell. And that's one of the symptoms of Moshiach, one of the signs, how you know that you're dealing with Moshiach. Gideon Moshiach, the Merch Vedoin of Azosi Vachina Moshiach, as we very well know, that Moshiach's unique ability is to smell out justice, not to have to sit in a court and, and preside in order to work out justice. He sniffs out justice just like this. In fact, that's the test of how you know he's the real candidate for Moshiach. Which implies that our journey through the so-called desert of the nations will continue until Tumah and impurity and evil are removed from this world, which happens in the time of Moshiach. Famously know the Pasuk in Micha. That Hashem says, like the days, plural, of the exodus from Mitzrayim, so in the future I will show you wonders. So Hasidus explains, what is Micha telling us over here? He's telling us that the power, the potential for us to reach Moshiach, to reach Geula, derives from the original Exodus. Like you left Mitzrayim then, so you are empowered to leave the current Golos. If that's true, so if the ultimate, the time of Moshiach, is a complete removal of all negative from the world, and we derive the power for that from Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that implies that in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim there is an element of removing the negative from the world. In fact, it's so powerful that we're going to draw on that strength in order to make it happen in the time of Moshiach. In fact, Kriyas Yamsuf is a clear moment in the Exodus where you see the removal of evil in an undeniable way. The Yidden saw that the Mitzrayim were dead. Their army was destroyed. They lay on the shore dead. Which means that at the time of Kriyas Yamsuf, the Jews had a snapshot of what it's like in the time of Moshiach. Evil destroyed. Now we can understand why the Medrash was satisfied with only describing three elements, which really relate to the three first journeys, 
which took us to the point of Kriyas Yamsuf, because that is a microcosm of the entire story of the whole of Jewish history till the time of Moshiach. Because those three journeys are a miniature version of what the 42 journeys in the desert would achieve and a miniature version of what the spiritual 42 journeys across the whole of Golos would achieve. Okay, moving. Take, for example, what they said in Oz Yosha. This will help us to understand. What did they say? They said, What did they say? They said that the fear that, was, that overtook the nations of the world at that time would continue all the way till the Yardin. As Rashi himself quotes from Unkelos. And that song at the end of Oz Yosher, which uh, at the end of Kriya Samsov, which is obviously exclaiming what Kriya Samsov achieved, starts in the future tense. Which implies that this is linked to the song that Moshe will sing at the time of Tchias Amesim in the future. In other words, Yetzias Mitzrayim to Kriya Samsov is a microcosm of the entire experience of our spiritual growth and development and impacting the world. And just as when they got to Kriya Siamsov, it had firstly an impact on removing evil from the world. And it was felt by all the nations for a long time afterwards. And it had the promise of the time of Moshiach. So therefore encapsulated in that is everything that we need to know about the whole of what it's going to take to go through Godus to get to Moshiach. Omnum. Okay, but the only thing is that this explanation fits only from the perspective of three journeys and then the culmination of those three journeys, the splitting of the sea. Which basically is the snapshot of how life will be at the end of time, at the end of Golos, just like the Kriya Siamsuf was the end of in that particular, they were not free until they had destroyed the Mitzrayim at Mitzrayim. However, the fact that the Medrash does not include Kriyas Yamsuf in its Moshal, it only describes the first three journeys. So we cannot just satisfy ourselves with like a very broad story to say there's a period of Golas, you navigate the Midbar Ha'amim, but don't worry, you get to the Kriyas Yamsuf, which is a foretaste of the time of Mashiach, Esruch Atuma There's more detail over here. Those three Masois and what they represent tell us a story about our journeys spiritually preparing, getting to the time of Geulah. And the three specific Mishalim, sleeping overnight, cooling off, and having issues with the head, those are things that are very integral to our understanding of the entire story of the Membe's Masois, and perhaps even more importantly, of our own spiritual lives. So we need to detail those stories, those Mishalim, better. So in order to really appreciate what this is supposed to be telling us, let's go back to the Moshal and look at it under a deeper microscope, a more powerful microscope. Let's understand what's going on over here. Aleph. The fact that the Medrash quotes this Moshal in relation to the Pasuk that says, the following are the journeys of the Jewish people. And then again at the end of the conversation it says, therefore it says, So that proves, That proves to us why, as Rashi pointed out, the Torah had to tell us these journeys in the first place. Knowing this Moshal will answer that question. Now, one second, something doesn't add up over here because 
if these three are supposed to represent Masse B'nai Yisrael, and the Mashal says that this is a story of places where we angered Hashem, it doesn't add up. There were many places where the Yidden went where they didn't anger Hashem. Obvious example, Har Sinai. Where's the anger? There was a time, an amazing time of commitment and a covenant between Hashem and us and a time of Nasev and Nishma and all these wonderful things. So that's one question. How, how do all of them somehow carry the theme of angering Hashem? Number two. Now this is a really big question. In the Moshal, the king and the prince go in a journey in one direction and then they go back to where they came from. The fact that in the Marshall it says, Can, here, this is the place where we stepped, this is the place where we cooled off, that implies that they don't only go back, but they go back the same route, and the review of the journeys happens on location. How's that going to fit with our story? So the implication of the Moshe is when they reached each place, that's where the king says, here's where X happened. Where on earth do you find in Masay the concept of going back over the same route? Nobody went back at the time. On the contrary. They were just getting closer and closer to Eretz Yisrael. They were going, getting further and further from those locations. So why would the Mashal talk about going back and revisiting locations when that does not suit the Nimshal at all? So in order for us to understand this concept, we have to understand the more general concept of Nishamas entering this world. Why does Hashem send our neshamas down into this world? And it seems like it's, it's actually quite a challenging experience to be a neshama that enters this world. So why does Hashem do it? The explanation is, If you wanted to summarize the journey through the so-called desert of the nations, which is effectively the journey of an Hashemah into this world and the journey of the Jewish person through this world, it's all summarized as taking an entity from a very lofty level, what they call in the Gemara the elevated roof, down into a place of terrible concealment. Now, of course, we know that the purpose of this Yerida, this incredible descent, is not just to impact and elevate the desert and the world around it, but much more, maybe not more importantly, but much more personal to us, is the fact that we'd be elevated. So, of course, the world would be changed. The world would become holy. But we'll be elevated. Yerida Tzorchaliyah. But we're making a description over here of the journeys. And at the time of the journeys, what you feel most and what you notice most is the concealment, the challenges, difficulty, the downgrade. And we just trust and believe that through our efforts, Later on, there will be a time and an experience of Aliyah. Now, of course, we know conceptually that the entire purpose of Golos is not the Golos. The Golos is not the goal. The goal is the Aliyah that will follow after the Golos. But it's inescapable. While I'm in Golos, I am in a spiritually depressed state. And I'm not emotionally depressed, spiritually depressed, or suppressed. My spirituality is limited. And yes, you can tell me all these wonderful things about what's going to happen down the line, that there will be an Aliyah, but it doesn't change how I feel and what my experience of Elikos is now. Vem came. 
נמצא שבעלי חוסר במסוי, זה נמצא במוקם ובמצב של מדבורה שלא יישב אדם שם. So that means that as long as the person is still on the journey, the person is in an uninhabitable place, an inhospitable place, where humans don't belong, or in our case, where neshamas don't belong. It is a place where the entire nature of the environment is hich isuni, it angers Hashem. Where do we live? In a place that angers Hashem. The attitudes that prevail in our world are contrarian to Judaism. Very powerful statement that the Friedrich Rebbe makes that yes, Tzimtzum produces all kinds of benefits, but the Tzimtzum itself, the actual contraction, concealment of godliness, is against Hashem's Rotzen. If you can imagine such a concept, meaning there is no Rotzen, there is no interest, there is no value. In the darkness, all the value is what the darkness will produce. It's the same as if a person had to go through a medical procedure. There is no value in the pain. There's only value in the procedure. Now this feeling and experience that we have of being so spiritually suppressed and living in darkness, groping our way through our spiritual progress, that's as long as we're on the journey. But when you complete the journey and now you reach the Aliyah, then we get the retrospective and we look back and see what the purpose was in all of it. In retrospect, we're then able to detect that the entire journey was just facilitating us getting to the Aliyah. That's why in the Moshal, the Moshal emphasizes they are on their way back. They're looking back at what happened, and now they can give it context. After having been degraded into the space of the 42 journeys, and of course the unique challenges of each journey, then then you have a return journey. Now, in the Moshe, the return journey is you're going home. In order to go home, you go back the same direction you came from. In our Nimshal, you're going home means you're now going in an aliyah, not going back to any of those Masois, you're going back to what the purpose of all of those Masois were. When you go back, when you rebound, when you reconnect to Hashem, when you elevate yourself, that recontextualizes all of the different journeys that you went on. And now you say, ah, that's what that meant, and that's what that was for, and that's how this contributed to my Aliyah, etc. That's what the marshal means when the king says, uh, well, when the, the, in the nimshal, the Abishta says to Moshe, list all the places where they angered me. What does that mean? Like the Navi Yeshaya tells us what's going to happen in the time of Moshiach, we will give gratitude to Hashem for the suffering that we experienced in Golis. Then, with the insight and the wisdom and the revelation that we experience, we'll be able to see that what felt at the time like terrible torture, we can now see as chesed. Thank you, Hashem, for having done that. So what was Hichisuni, what appeared outwardly at some, as something which was antithetical to what Hashem wanted, we can now say, thank you. We see the Maila, we see the Aliyah, we see the value. Now, all of this still probably sounds like it's highly theoretical. But Tachlis, realistically, how can you say that all of that darkness, that all of that misguided behavior, all of those Yidden who never get to reconnect in, in full commitment to the Yiddishkeit, all of that is good? All of that is Aliyah? So in order to clarify this, the Medrash has to give us a Moshul. 
Because only thanks to the Moshe will we be in a position to appreciate how that which seems to be so lost and so damaging is actually powerful and good. What's the Moshe? The major insight over here is the prince does not journey alone. The king accompanies him through all of those challenging phases of the journey. Not only does the king accompany him, but the king leads him. Not only that, why does the king take him on this journey to heal him? So right at the beginning, in the nature of the marshal, the Medrash shows us how the entire purpose, goal, and objective of every step of this journey is aliyah, it's love, it's healing. Okay. Ulam, there's one big question. This marshal talks about where the king takes us into a space that is perhaps spiritually inhospitable. What about when we choose to go into places that are bad for us? Then what? We get it. The marshal is the king planned the whole thing from start to finish. This is where we're going to go. That's our destination. We want to get healed. There's no question about it that the the um, itinerary set out by the king has to be for the best outcome. So wherever the Ebishter sends us has to be for our benefit, spiritually too. Ah, well, that's not the full story. It's not only a story that Hashem chose to take us through a midbar, and that wasn't of our doing, so it has to be good because the Ebishter has our best interests at heart. We know that through the course of our sojourn in the desert, we rebelled multiple times. We angered Hashem multiple times. The fact that we so-called angered Hashem during these journeys, was that not because we chose badly, because we sinned? Isn't it true to say that our Averos caused an even greater Yerida than the Yerida that Hashem had planned? Who says that that is L'Tzor Chaliyah? You understand the question? If Hashem decided He's taking the Shamas and putting them into physical earth, that's L'Tzor Chaliyah. If Hashem decided that this is going to be a place of hell and Hester, that's L'Tzor Chaliyah. If Hashem decided that there are going to be obstacles to our spiritual growth, that's Tzor Chaliyah. If we decide that we're going to mess up, how's that Okay, so you've learned enough Hasidus, and you know that the only way to rebound from really poor choices and decisions is to call on really deep internal power to be able to push even greater, as the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya. Logic says, yes, of course, you will have turbo-boosted spiritual commitment going forward. Once you rehabilitate, once you do teshuva, then because you recognize how much time you've lost or bad decisions you made, that will prompt you to be so much more enthusiastic in your Yiddishkeit going forward. But how could you possibly suggest that when a person chooses to do an Avera, which sinks themselves even deeper than where Hashem intended them to be, that that is Bepnimius in Aliyah? How could you say that? Maybe say it will afterwards potentially produce an Aliyah. That makes sense. But to say that that poor choice, that personal rebellion, that in itself is fundamentally an aliyah hidden? How can you say that? So the Mitzvah Rebbe explains, based on what the, the Medrash says, quoting the Pasuk, that the Eibishter finds ways to strategize to place the blame on us for things he wanted us to do. 
שמה שנכשל עוד מראשון וחטא צדה, עשה לילה ניתלו בוי. So the Mitler says, for example, the fact that Adam Arishon, Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas was all pre-planned. It was blamed on them. It was made like it was their choice, which it was. But it was all pre-planned. Says the Mitter Rebbe, sometimes your Yitzhahara overcomes you, and therefore you sin. The reason is because it's because the Abishter constructed a scenario whereby this time, this, scenario, this situation, the Yitzhahara is going to get the better of you. In other words, even our worst Averis, the Ebishta has a hand in it. Ah, you're going to say, but what about free choice? And if there is no free choice, how can I benefit from having done something to, to, to rehabilitate from that choice? Or how could I be punished for having made that choice in the first, in the first place? Because this principle that David may have orchestrated something which would allow the Yetzirah, the upper hand, would allow the Yetzirah to overtake us, we're not conscious of that. We don't feel like we're doing X because Hashem facilitates the power of our Yetzirah. We feel that we're actually making the choice. And so the truth is, it is actually a free choice. Yes, Hashem has a vast, supernal plan, but I'm completely oblivious to that. I'm choosing, chas v'shalom, to do something wrong, because I'm choosing it. Like the very well-known principle that divine omniscience does not negate human free choice. Here's the bombshell. This means that every single Yerida that a person ever experiences, even by their own choice, is part of the Kavana. It's all part of Hashem's plan so that a person will be able to have the Maila of the greater light which darkness itself generates. To have the greatness of turning that which is rebellion into merit. Okay, so what we're going to have to clarify now, because it's very important to clarify this, is that there are two kinds of Yerida. There's the generalized Yerida that Hashem creates of people as Neshamas coming down into this world and experiencing all of those challenges. And then there is the further Yerida that we cause by our own choices, which indeed does fit into Hashem's plan. We're just completely oblivious to that. So we have to take responsibility for those choices. So let's understand the difference. So what's the difference between the two kind of angerings of God? So the first experience is the journey where you feel very clearly that the king is taking you on this journey, like in the Mashal. And then, and, and then the second type of experience is journeys that we go on because of our own choices, where the fact that Hashem is not only accompanying us, but actually even leading us down those journeys is lost on us. We're completely unaware of it. That distinction will play out in the difference between the journeys before Kriyas Yamsuf and after. Amr Chazal. Very famous and perhaps uh, disappointing medrash that tells us if the Yidden would have had enough schos, as soon as they would have come out of the Yamsuf, they would have gone straight into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, Debesh's plan was complete. So that implies the fact that there were still many more journeys to go through after they crossed the sea was because they had chosen inappropriately and therefore they had taken themselves into a greater Yerida than what Hashem had planned. Hashem had planned a Yerida which says you go into the Midbar, you come out of there strong, you go straight into Eretz Yisrael. But we chose not to be Zoyche, so therefore we extended our Yerida. So the journeys before Kriyas Yamsuf are going to happen if we were the best of the best, 
or the worst of the worst. The journeys that happen after Kriya Siyamsef are a direct result of our choices. Vabir Boset, just to explain this better. Midbar Mamesh Tchilos Elachar Yamsuf. The real desert only really began after Kriyas Yamsuf. Wherever they traversed from Mitzrayim to the Yamsuf was an intermediate stage that wasn't exactly the built-up metropolises of Mitzrayim and wasn't the vast openness and desolation of the desert. It was somewhere in between. What that implies spiritually is this. The definition of a desert is a place where human habitat is not, it's not designed for human habitat. And in Hasidus, we explain when it says Adam is not in, a, in the desert, it means Adam ha'elian. It's not a place that is conducive to godliness. In other words, real desert means real obstruction to Elikos. The so-called intermediate phase represented by these three journeys from Ramses to Yamsuf, that represents where it's not a place of habitat. It's not where Kedusha would be, like a city as human habitat. Nor is it absolute desolation. It's somewhere in between. So, so in other words, that intermediate stage, that represents the Yerida that Hashem wanted to happen, that Hashem had designed for the world. So you won't be in a place of absolute revealed elikus, but you won't be in a place of rebellion. You'll be in an intermediate phase. That's what Abishtha wanted, a Yerida into a place of darkness, which we could then use as a catalyst for great growth. So which explains why in the Moshe there are the three phases, which effectively describe the three journeys that Hashem had designed from Mitzrayim to Yamsuf. Because like in the Moshe, this is the part of the journey where the king is very clearly and openly leading his child. Whereas all the other journeys that we read after Kriyas Yamsuf, those are the result of our choices, which were not such healthy choices. And so therefore we land up going to places that we shouldn't have had to go and dealing with challenges we didn't necessarily have to deal with. So, just to better understand what are the three phases that fit with Hashem's pristine plan. Well, in the Moshe, there are three things, sleeping, cooling off, and the, the, the bother of your head. Those are things that Hashem planned to be part of this world. Meaning what? In all three of those scenarios, there's nothing in what they describe that talks about real illness. Matzav ashayich lechet, real illness, would relate to sin. Even the idea of your head bothering you, that's not, it's not real illness. As Rashi says very clearly, the idea of chashash, it's very light. It's not. It's not something that you feel ill over. Why these three things? Because the ultimate goal and purpose of the whole of life is that we should be able to choose life of our own volition. And in order to facilitate that, there are three key ingredients that you have to have. Ingredient number one, Aleph. The first ingredient in order for us to be able to choose of our own volition to connect to Hashem, the Neshama has to leave a place of obvious godliness and enter a place of distorted or concealed godliness. Because if you're not in a place of darkness, you don't have an alternative. If you don't have an alternative, you can't make a choice. 
Making a choice to do something positive is only valuable in contrast to the possibility of making a choice to do something negative. So ingredient number one, we have to actually leave the reality of obvious godliness. Number two, ingredient number two, on the other hand, you have to have viable access to the healthy choices. Right? If you're in a place of all light, there's no choice. If you're in a place of all dark, there's no option to choose differently. And so the second ingredient is that after Hashem creates darkness using the principle of that that Hashem originally wanted to create the world with just din, just restraint, just concealment, but it's not viable, it's not feasible. So therefore, the second ingredient is mix in a little bit of rachamim. And what is rachamim? We're told is things like tzaddikim, or miracles that alert us to the fact that Hashem exists. So they allow us the possibility of healthy choices. Ingredient number three, in order for the choices that we make to be real choices, free choices, it is necessary for our nefesh to have enough intelligence to see the potential value in both sides of the coin. In other words, if the Nefesh HaBahamis was only drawn to the negative in a completely impulsive way, then there wouldn't be fair play over here because in order to choose well, you have to think. If in order to choose badly, you don't ever have to think, it's not, a, it's not an even playing field, it's not a free choice because now it's a choice between being impulsive or being focused. So the Nefesh Abamis has to be able to actually think as well and to be able to rationalize to itself other choices that are not holy choices. And the truth is that if it were in such a way that the nature of the Nefesh Abamis would be purely impulsive and the nature of the Nefesh Abamis would be the only part of me that is intellectual, seeing as humans are predisposed to intellect, that should be weighted in favor of the Nefesh Abamis. So the Nefesh Abamis also has to be able to think and to justify and to come with all its elaborate explanations of why you should actually behave in an unhealthy way. So those are the three ingredients. Those three ingredients are expressed in the mushal of Yoshano, Haikarno, Vachashashtes, Reishko. What does that mean? Alef Shino. Sheyechon Mishishem Nemisa, Helem Vesilik Haseicha, Vachulomeri, Atzimtsum, Boifin Shal Siluk. As we well know, when a person is sleeping, the brain doesn't function in its normal, rational way, and sleep is considered a foretaste, a fraction of death, and therefore sleep is exactly like the first ingredient. Moving from a place of awareness to a place of unconsciousness, spiritual unconsciousness. Second, <coughs> second um, ingredient. Just as we said that there was the cooling off from the intense heat of the desert by the clouds, so in, a say, in the same way, there has to be a cooling off the, of the intensity of challenge, the intensity of how difficult it is to be able to connect to Elikos. There's a little bit of rachamim, a little bit of cooling off of the blazing temptations of this world. And then, thirdly, third ingredient, there has to be the possibility of the mind also being waylaid. Just like the Jewish people right at the beginning turned to Hashem and rationally said, or turned to Moshe and said, rationally said, why have we been taken out to die in the desert? So it's a misguided rational thinking. But there was the rational component. So in the same way, the Nefesh Abamis has to be able to think critically, rationally. Now we get it. Why when we speak about sleep or about cooling off, those are said in the plural. Whereas when we speak about the misguided thinking, the issues with the head, that is said in the singular. Why? 
כיתנו הסצים שבכוון הסגיל גם אצל המלך, מה שאין כן חשש לישראל, שחוינן הנגר רק לבין המלך לבדוי. Because ingredient number one, to create סימצום, דייבש is part of that, plural, we experience it, דייבש makes it. Ingredient number two, to temper the סימצום with a little bit of רחמים, דייבש is part of that, it's in the plural. But how we think in our misguided thinking, that's in the singular, because only we have that issue. Only we experience that waylaid thinking. So now, the key thing that we've learned in the Sikha is that they should design the Yerida But over and above that, the Yerida that we cause ourselves through our toxic choices, also in a concealed fashion, also carry the guidance of the king. Meaning to say, they're also part of the plan. That's why we are comfortable to say that these three journeys, which clearly were directed by Hashem, are a microcosm of all of the journeys, even those that we don't clearly see as being orchestrated by Hashem. Because what this is illustrating to us is what will happen down the line, what will be our bad choices after the fact that the king led us into a place of Yerida, and that Yerida included a nefesh abhamis that can think for itself and can argue quite logically in favor of the things that it wants to do, that will then lead us to all the poor choices that we make and the mess-ups that we make. And guess what then? They're all part of where Hashem led us, which means they all are for a purpose of growth, rebound, and greatness. So we should never see our failures as failures. We should see them as part of Abish's plan to allow us greater rebound and greater success. And that's why you'll notice Rashi makes a difference to the Medrash. Earlier on in the Sikha, we said it's really strange that the Medrash will only say three of the journeys and not even say etc. Well, Rashi does say etc. Because Rashi gives us Yeno Shil Torah. He always gives us a glimpse into the deeper spiritual meaning. Rashi is alluding to the fact that even beyond the story as it is told to us, where the king took his son, when we reach the part of the story where the son has now made his own, poor decisions, and cause himself real illness. Rashi says, That's still part of the same story. It's part of the same trajectory that started with the king. The king took his son on this journey, and now the son is on that journey because the king led him that way. And the fact that he is sick now is part of where the king started him off. So therefore Rashi alludes to the fact that the message is the entire reason why there is illness is only to bring healing. Even the illness that is self-inflicted. Why does Hashem empower people to damage themselves? Only so that they could heal themselves. Which means that the whole purpose of the illness in the first place was that that negative experience could be converted to positive, not only because of what it will do and how it will propel the person forward in future, but because it was originally intended for the sake of growth and elevation, therefore it is retroactively elevated. This will all be clearly revealed and experienced in the time of Mashiach, when we'll complete the process of returning home. Then we will see the full blazing reality of the greatness that was embedded in every single one of our challenges, including the ones that were of our own toxic choices and all the goodness of that will come to the fore and we'll be able to experience it speedily and even sooner than that.